0: Uh, We're continuing our walk through, our journey through the Minor Prophets, and today we're going to cover the 35th book of the Old Testament. How do you pronounce this book? (laughs) Lord knows, Lord knows that some biblical words are hard to pronounce, and this Minor Prophet ranks up there, Habakkuk. Folks, if you have strong opinions about how this word is pronounced, please don't share it with me. (laughs) All right. So first of all, again, welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. We're doing our biblical review, 35th book of the Old Testament, Habakkuk. I'm really, really going to try to say it the same way every time during this message, so bear with me. Some facts about this prophet. Facts about the Bible. These are things I think it's important we phrase these things. We learn facts about the Bible when we were going through this. About when these prophets lived. When these characters lived. When these things were written. When they happened. When the prophecies were made. These are facts about the Bible. There's facts about people that really lived and really worshipped the Lord. Habakkuk prophesied near the end of the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel was long gone, long gone. Judah was sinking deeper and deeper into sin and rebellion. The final rulers of Judah were evil and weak. It's actually an amazing combination when you think about it, for someone to be evil and weak at the same time. We're going to read a section of scripture here. I'm not going to have the verses on the screen. If you'd like, you can turn with me into 2nd Chronicles. I just want to show you the era that Habakkuk was uh, prophesying in. 2nd Chronicles 36, last chapter of the book. 2nd Chronicles 36 starting in verse 13. Actually, we'll start verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke for the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel evil. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he sanctified in Jerusalem. This is Judah. This is Judah, not Israel. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, Babylonians, who slew their young men by the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. Evil and weak despised God, abused his prophets, rebelled against the Babylonians, who then just promptly came in and wiped them out. Astonishing that Zedekiah mocked God's prophets while his kingdom was falling apart around him. The rebellion of the final kings of Judah was useless, as we saw. The Egyptians and the Babylonians, including our old friend Nebuchadnezzar, they took turns disp- deposing and setting up the final kings of Judah as vassals. Until at the last, you know, choking on its own spite and shaking its fist in rebellion to God, Judah was destroyed. We're going to read one more passage. 2 Kings 24. Flip back a couple books if you are turn with me. 2 Kings 24, starting in verse 20. For though the anger of the Lord this time came about in Jerusalem and Judah until he cast him out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now it came about in the ninth year of his reign on the tenth day of the tenth month that Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, came, he and all his army against Jerusalem, camped against it, and built a siege wall all around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden. And although the Chaldeans, Babylonians, were all around the city, and they went by the way of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his armies were scattered from him. And they captured the king of Judah and brought him to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar at Riblah and passed sentence on him. And they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. So I read these things. This is the context in which Habakkuk is prophesying and when he's writing his his book. Utter destruction, weakness, weakness combined with evil, Pathetic. This is the chaos that's approaching Judah, as Habakkuk is writing. Interestingly, as you pay attention to what he's communicating, the book of Habakkuk doesn't come across as a sermon where he's preaching to a bunch of rebellious people. It comes across as a conversation between the prophet and God. Habakkuk has some questions. And God has Some answers. So, in order to help draw us in a little bit on this, I'd like to do something. You have on your note sheet, you have a spot on your note sheet where you can do some writing. I'd like to try to make this a little more personal for you. So, Habakkuk has questions. Oftentimes, we have questions for the Lord. So, I'd like you to write down a question that you have for God. It can be simple, it can be profound. Short notice, I know, maybe to come up with a question, but on the bottom of your sheet, it says item one, take a moment and write down a question that you might have for God. It can be personal, it can be family, it can be work, it can be the world all around us, whatever you want. Just write down a question at the bottom of your note sheet. All right, now we're going to look at Habakkuk's question. He's a witness to evil. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Feel free to jot down Habakkuk's question in the space next to where you wrote your question if you have room. Who is Habakkuk talking about? Whose wickedness does he see? Anyone? Judah. He sees Judah's wickedness. That is correct. Why do you make me see iniquity? Next verse. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice is perverted. So what are Habakkuk's questions to the Lord? There's two, actually. Two questions he has, actually. How long? Why do you make me look at iniquity? Why do you make me look at iniquity? God answers. Sometimes people in the the Bible, they ask questions and there's no answers. And sometimes they get answers. Job got an answer. wasn't necessarily the answer he was looking for. Habakkuk gets an answer as well. God speaking. Verses 5 and 6. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs God answers Habakkuk's question directly Jesus spoke in parables God chooses to answer Habakkuk directly he's raising up the Chaldeans Babylonians to judge Judah pause again so look at item number two on your sheet jot down really quickly, just jot down a few notes, how did God answer Habakkuk? He asked the question, why, how long, and why do I have to look at this? And God's answer was, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to judge Judah. So now, again, this is my attempt to make it a little more personal for you and for us. Habakkuk asked a question, God answers it. You ask a question to God does anything come to your mind? I have no presuppositions, no idea what you wrote, but does anything come to your mind about how God may answer your question? And I really want you to think about the character of God. I really want you to think about the character of God as you respond to that, how he would answer you to the question that you asked him. Does that make sense? Take a moment. Think about God's character. How would he answer your question? Let's continue. As you're going to see, God's response shocked Habakkuk. And he had a follow-up question. Now, before we look at Habakkuk's follow-up question, on item three, I want you to write down a follow-up question. Okay, you asked question. Yeah, I got, got a question. Lord, this is my question to you. He responds to you. He's a gracious God. You get to respond back to him, just like Habakkuk got to respond back to God. When God answers you within his own character in a way that you may or may not want or like, or maybe it's right down the middle of what you need, you get to ask a follow-up question. So I'd like you to take a moment on item number three and write down a follow-up question that you might have with God. What I'm trying to do with this is I'm trying to really immerse us in the exchange that Habakkuk had with God. Because we can imitate this in our own prayer life, in our own relationship with him. So write a follow-up question. Okay, Lord, I hear what you say to me. Thank you for answering my question. I have a follow-up question, Lord. Because Habakkuk has a follow-up question. Here's Habakkuk's follow-up. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, our rock, you've sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. Notice that Habakkuk observes God's holiness and then asks his question. His question is in verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. And you cannot look at harm favorably. Why do you look favorably on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? How can a holy God use an instrument of evil, the Babylonians, to punish us? To punish the evil of Judah. Feel free to jot down. Habakkuk's follow-up question and this space on item three on your notes. This is write down how what Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's follow-up question is to God. Here's the dilemma. Let's take a step back here for a moment and take a look at the point that Habakkuk is making very Respectfully and very skillfully, I think. Why do you make me see iniquity when your eyes are too pure to look on evil? Wow, it's an amazing way to frame the question. It's framed with genuine curiosity. It's framed with genuine distress. And it's framed with genuine respect and devotion and observation of God's character. What? an amazing way to approach a creator. He's asking for help to understand. He's not casting accusations against God. He said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. How can I, why am I have to look at evil when your eyes cannot look on evil? It's a fair question. And we're allowed to bring those to God. We're allowed to bring those fair questions, things we don't understand to him. We bring it to him with reverence. We bring it to him with confidence that he's going to respond in a way that's consistent with his character, not with an accusation, like we get to hold him accountable. Ha! God, you're a hypocrite! I don't have to obey you! Which is how people who don't fear God are tempted and often indulge in. God, you're a hypocrite! I don't have to believe in you! I don't have to obey you! Habakkuk says, I don't understand. This is hard. Please help me understand, Lord. And you are a holy and righteous God. What an amazing contrast. And then he, Habakkuk bookends his questions with another statement of faith. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may re- reply when I am reproved. How I may reply when I am reproved. He praises God, poses his question, and submits to God. What an amazing outline. What an amazing thing for us to imitate when we bring to him the pains, the frustrations, the knowledge gaps of our heart. Praise, question, submission. Praise, question, submission. Praise God ask your questions, submit to his response. So in the light of this approach, in the light of what Habakkuk, the prophet, is teaching us, what he's modeling, rather, because he's really just talking to God. We get an insight on his conversation with God. Can you pause for a moment? Can you review your responses that you've put on items 1 through 3? Compare your questions, compare your follow-ups, compare your expectations... And more importantly, your attitude with Habakkuk's approach. And I know I'm putting you on the spot. I don't know how profound your question was that you wrote down. Hopefully it's something that's meaningful to you. This is, obviously, this is meant for you to take home and meditate on. Praise, question, submission. Praise, question, trust. The question can be real. The question can be hard The question can break your heart. Praise, question, reverence. So how did you do when you wrote your questions down? Anyone here want to scratch out any attitude and replace it with reverence? Feel free. I'll give you a moment to update your notes. (sighs) You know, this approach of Habakkuk reminds me of Psalm 131. David wrote this. He said, "O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. What a healthy attitude. The same spirit, too, that motivated David to write this. I don't know, what, 500 years earlier, is motivating and empowering Habakkuk. It motivates and empowers us now, too, because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. As we meditate on Scripture, as we seek His face, as we get counsel from those who know and love us, we can take this approach, too, to the most difficult things in life. Praise, heartbreak, reverence. Praise, heartbeat, break, reverence. Thank God for that. God answers Habakkuk's follow-up question. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read some highlights and not the entire chapter 2. So, chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, write down the vision and ascribe it clearly on tablets, so that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hurries toward the goal. It will not Though it delays, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay long. Reminds me, last week, week before, Pastor David was sharing one of the minor prophets, and he said, God, when he judges, he won't have to do it twice. He's going to do it once. He won't have to do it twice. The destruction is going to be complete. God's judgment is complete, and it is inevitable, the Lord says to Habakkuk. Another verse. Behold, as, as, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Who says this? The righteous will live by his faith. Who's speaking? Who's speaking? God is speaking Is part of his answer to Habakkuk. The righteous will live by his faith. Verse 12, 14. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire, and nations grow weary for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Iconic verse. God will judge the Babylonians, he says. However, the point, God is saying, is not necessarily the fact that the Babylonians are going to pay for what they're doing, Oh, they surely will. The point is God's glory. That's part of his answer. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake! to a dumb stone, arise. That is your teacher? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Highlights of God's answer back to him. God will judge. The righteous will live by faith. The glory of God will cover the earth. And let all be silent before God. This is God's response to Habakkuk. Notably, there's no rebuke of Habakkuk. God rebuked Job, if you recall. There's no rebuke of Habakkuk. I think that's interesting. Instead, God lifts Habakkuk's eyes to the bigger picture that Habakkuk cannot see. Or if he sees it, he's forgotten about it. A bigger picture that inspires chapter 3 of this book, which is Habakkuk's worship of God. His inspired worship, same thing. I'm going to read some of the highlights from this. Chapter 3 is Habakkuk's song of worship to God after God has helped him to see the bigger picture. God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. Before him went the pestilence, and the burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered, melted like wax, right? The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations, You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You smashed the head of the house of evil to uncover him from foot to neck. Selah. Even if the fig tree does not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive fails and the fields produce no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold, there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice and the God of my salvation, in spite of the circumstances. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places. One of the most iconic verses of scripture. And also one of the most astonishing transformations of scripture in a person's heart that we see. Habakkuk's world is filled with evil, pain, suffering, weakness, mocking, nastiness. He sees it all face to face and he sees what's coming. And yet his perspective is transformed into a vision of personal triumph. My feet will be like hinds feet on my high places in spite of these circumstances. His perspective was transformed into a vision of personal triumph through worship. worth meditating on as we think of the different trials and pains and struggles, frustrations and heartbreaks of our life. Is this something that you can experience? Can you, will you, not can you, you can. I'm asking you, will you imitate Habakkuk, trusting in the character of God to take your heartbreak to him. Pour it out at his feet in faith because you know who he is and what his character is like. This is available to you. This is available to me. Last assignment. Seeing Habakkuk's response, how are you, I hope you are inspired to worship, I hope you are inspired to Praise. I hope you are inspired to trust. I'd like you to take a moment and write that down on the last space, item four, on your sheet. and Think about whether your question is big or small. What will it take for your questions, your heart, your attitude to be transformed by worship? Will you have faith? So ask your questions, ask your questions, order your heart, worship his glory, and have faith that your heart can be transformed, your vision for life can be transformed by experiencing God. There's no answer recorded from God at the end of the chapter three. Judah was judged, Babylon was judged, Judah was restored, Babylon was not. Christ eventually came to earth to fulfill all of God's promises. All these things are true. It's interesting, as I meditate on this, you want to hear something radical? The astonishing thing here is not God's holiness. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. And praise God for it, I worship and recognize, Lord, your holiness The astonishing thing is not the restoration of Judah, which came as promised. The astonishing thing here is the transformation of one man's heart from pain and questioning to faith through worship. The the astonishing thing is the transformation of one man's heart. Let's pray. Father, I yield my heart to you. I desire to be transformed I desire to be. I desire to fear you and love you and trust you. I desire to respond in faith. Teach us, Lord, to ask these questions of you with a heart of worship, with a heart of trust. Teach us to be honest with you with the many questions we need to bring to you. Amen.